0: You're listening to Distilling Theology. I'm Blake. And I'm Justin. This is a new podcast combining discussions of theology and distilled spirits. And dad jokes. Amen.
1: What's wrong with you people? You're not David. I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. Fatality. You know... Starting a podcast about theology and distilled spirits is whiskey business. (laughs) I said that with a straight face. Distilling Theology. Welcome back to another episode of Distilling Theology. Justin, how are you doing tonight, friend? You know,
0: I am doing very well. My voice has essentially returned to me from the last time we recorded. Praises. Um, Indeed, and I am feeling great. My Uh, handsome
1: young son is asleep upstairs and I'm ready to go. That is so endearing and so true to the the spirit of the holidays that uh, we're not going (laughs) to talk about because we're going to trigger somebody one way or the other. (laughs) It's called Christmas, Blake. christ Uh, Oh, boy. Opening up controversy, just like I'm opening this bottle of scotch. Mm. (laughs) I really just wanted that sound effect and then I was like, well, Uh. this pun just kind of opened up to me. (laughs) It's a great great scotch in our glass tonight. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it, Balaki? I think it's a really spectacular and underrated single malt whiskey. Mm. It's one that I had not heard of until I was in a whiskey group on Facebook, and actually one of the members of our Distilling Theology Facebook group, Andrew Owen, is the one who introduced me to this malt. So thank you, Andrew, because this is amazing. Uh, well, first, wait, did I already tell you how to pronounce it? I was going to try and trick Buna, you. Bunehaven? Close. It's Bunehaven, hmm. which is, I believe it's a Gaelic word. So that's why the strange pronunciation. This is the 12-year expression.
0: It's an entry-level bottling. Uh, yes. It comes in a redesigned bottle. It's 12-year, is light, lightly peated for an Islay single malt, and consequently it is a light, fresh dram. Uh, And this is a higher strength, I understand, at 46.3% for more
1: complexity and flavor. It is. And also, one thing I really appreciate about Bunahavan is that they are age-stated, so it's 12 years old. Now, that's still fairly common in Scotch distillation, but you'll notice a lot of producers are putting out non-age-stated whiskeys. Which is fine, um, but there's definitely a, a diversity in that and, and mm. some uncertainty. The other thing is it's natural color. So they're putting that on the label that this is the actual color of the scotch. They haven't added any dyes or anything to it. This is just how it comes out. It's a lovely amber color and it's unchill filtered. So they're not doing any sort of artificial processes to smooth the whiskey, to change the, the dynamic or the experience of it. It's just what you're getting from it, and it's finished in sherry casks, so that'll impart a nice fruity scent. So what are you getting on the nose? It's very sweet, very fresh, a little bit of malt. Yeah, do you get that like-
0: Almost like a seaweedy type salt, like a sea salt almost, you know, like you're by the-
1: Yeah. on the beach,
0: you know, it's delightful.
1: Yeah, there's some sea salt, and there's also, unlike Balvenie, which is like tropical fruit basket, this is mm-hmm. like dark fruit basket. Yeah. And a little bit, if you look for it, you can find that little bit of dark chocolate, but it's kind of hidden in there. It's not as forward. It's like dark chocolate, like a dark cherry chocolate almost. I'm glad you said that. Mm. (laughs) It's almost like there's some consistency when you use the same methodology to approach something that you can find. (laughs) I'm going to stop. Cheers. (laughs) Cheers. Is so good.
0: <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, man. It is soft.
1: It's supple, if you will. It is. It's very gentle, It's but it's got a nice mouthfeel. It's not, like, watery or oily.
0: Yeah, for sure. And It's, it's almost um, creamy. It's, yeah, and it's nutty. It's mm-hmm. uh, you, you definitely can tell that it's a sherry. Um, it's been in sherry casks, for sure. It's got that sweetness. Mm-hmm. A little bit of juiciness. It's almost... It's almost... Okay, so... The The residual feeling in my mouth is a similar feel that I get from like a really juicy IPA. Just mm. the mouthfeel.
1: That real, yeah. real juiciness. Yeah, man. This is... So again, Bunehaven, where I am, this is about a $50 bottle. So the other stuff you're talking about in this price range mm-hmm. is like your Ardbeg 10, your Lafroy 10, both of which are super smoky. Now, you will notice there is that faint little whiff of smoke in the palate but it's very mellow at least i find it to be pretty mellow mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yep multi very coastal mm-hmm. this
0: is this would seriously so uh we've traveled a lot uh to the carolinas for vacations uh over the years and i can i can literally i feel like i'm sitting on the beach uh, mm. but like during the evening where it's like slightly chilly you know and you get a sweatshirt on
1: yeah, man. That's where this,
0: where this is taking me, man.
1: <laughs> it's funny because you, you have a sweatshirt on.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: For those on Patreon watching our video exclusives, you will see. Well, it we live in New York and there's about two feet of snow outside. so Amen. So I wanted to read a little bit. I probably won't include all of this in mm. the actual episode. But for Patreon, cheers. This is from the World Whiskey Atlas. It's like a 300-page hardcover book that basically just talks about different whiskies and where they're from. It doesn't go into too much detail into individual expressions as much as it's focused on distilleries. So I'll just read this real quick before we get into get into the, the meat. Isla's northeastern coast was deserted in the late 19th century when the Isla Distillery Company started work on not just a, a new distillery, but an entire village in what is now known as Bunnahaven, With a road, a pier, houses, a village hall... As well as a substantial distillery, Bunnahaven is a fine example of the optimism surrounding Scotch whiskey in the late 1880s and the paternalistic attitudes of the new distilling companies. So you had this, like, they're like pioneering. They're like, all right, we're going to go build a village on the coast <laughs> around a distillery. <laughs> like, that's awesome. I mean, uh, I don't know why more people don't do that. Amen. And it says, uh, Bunnahaven was built to provide spirit for blends. So that's kind of an interesting thing. This was originally going to end up as a blend in some blended malt somewhere. I forgot about that. Six years after its founding, it merged with the Glendroths to form Highland Distilleries, which undoubtedly saved this high-capacity site on a remote island when the downturns of the early 1900s and the 1930s came along. Though launched as a single malt in the late 1980s, Buna has never received the backing it needed and deserved. Its huge stills produced a clean, slightly ginger-accented new make, which was ignored by the peat freaks who flooded into Iliff from the 1990s. <laughs> the peat freaks? That's, that's my favorite description I've read all day. So there's a... Long-winded explanation that I'm going to cut out of the episode in large part, but it gives some context about this really, really cool distillery. For the 12-year, their notes on the nose are lots of sherry reminiscent of brandy, black fruit and a lick of varnish, and a glimmer of smoke, fruitcake batter and nuts, so right on. And the palate is rich and sweet with crystallized ginger chocolate and coffee, aromatic with liqueur chocolate, finishes quite spicy. Conclusion, has a density... That belies its age. So there it is. Bunahavn 12 year. Mm. We are both huge fans. Very much. And again, it's a very affordable scotch. I mean, I would put this up against $100 and $150 bottles of scotch that I've tried. That's personally my palate. It is definitely a dessert scotch, Mm -hmm. but oh my goodness, is it good? So anyways, Justin, what are you reading these days?
0: Oh gosh. Well, for the past several weeks, believe it or not, I've been reading a lot of other reformed works uh, oh, please I spent do some tell. time uh, reading the Belgian Confession. For a moment, I had a moment where I considered the arguments of the uh, baby dunkers, if you will, <laughs> the Pado Baptists. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, oh my and, gosh! And, and for a moment, it made sense. But then I stood firm in my convictions and continued to read, and realized I was actually already in the correct camp. <laughs> <laughs> no, but Bold. it's been really cool. It's been really cool reading a, uh some of that as well as a uh, couple of different catechisms. Uh mm-hmm. I reread through the Heidelberg. I've been reading uh the Orthodox Catechism, which is one that is basically the Heidelberg but with Baptist distinctives. Um so the sections that talk about infant baptism uh are written in such a way. This was done in 1680, I believe. It was rewritten uh as if a Baptist wrote Uh, Those particular sections, um, because because we do agree on most, almost all theological uh, for sure arguments with a few distinctives. So, yeah, there was that. Um, and I read through uh Keech's uh catechism as well, which is like the more traditional Baptist catechism. Um, usually you can see that one paired with the 1689 being sold online. Mm -hmm. And I decided as I was doing that that I was going to start looking into uh the Swiss and the British, so the Helvetic Mm -hmm. Confession. And um, it's neat reading through some of the other theological works um, of the different Reformed camps throughout the different continents and and the different geographical areas, the Dutch Reformed, obviously the Three Forms of Unity, Mm. uh, reading through the Belgic, uh, the Heidelberg,
1: and stuff. So it's been been pretty cool. It's been pretty interesting. What about you? What are you reading? So I'm studying Isaiah 6 right now for... Mm. A specific Bible study piece that I'm doing about the holiness of God and also seeing the gospel in the prophets. Yeah. Uh, and I think Isaiah 6 is just one of the absolute best sections to showcase that. That's kind of unexpected because it's where we see holy, 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 but it's also where we see this Im- immeasurable grace and we see the transformative power of n- recognizing who God is and who we are and how devastating that is. To our uh, yeah. <laughs> everything, <laughs> and yet that God makes a way, and in the same way that that holiness is transferred to us, yeah. it's not something that we're able to work up to. Uh, so I'm working on that. I just started Robert Letham's systematic theology, which is quite approachable. I'm really enjoying his audience. Like he's definitely writing more towards. The everyday person, uh, not as much to the theologian. And it's a single volume, so it's much more approachable than like a yeah. big four volume work. Although I still love Beaky and Smalley's, but I'm waiting for the other three volumes. And also that's a lot to commit to.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Considering volume one is the same size as that entire it's actually uh, bigger. volume Me had there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. And then the other thing that I have, which I'm very excited for is The Wonderful Works of yes. God by Herman Bavinck, who is a Dutch Reformed Dutch. theologian. Like a Boss. Um, so Bavink has a systematic theology set that if you've been around theology nerds, you've probably seen. It's four massive books that say reform dogmatics on them. They're all probably at least a thousand pages. So mm-hmm. this is a reprint of the English translation of Bavink's own abridgment of that four-volume work that was written for everyday people. So I'm very excited about that. Uh, I haven't really gotten very far into it, but I've just, the little bits that I've read of Bob Inc and heard about him, I'm very excited to engage with that intellectual rigor mm. because I just think that in an age of so much skepticism and so much accusation that Christians don't have good answers for things. And while well, you just throw your hands up, it's really refreshing to read people that have wrestled with difficult issues And come to really, really smart, biblical, godly conclusions and and defend the faith. Yeah. And the Dutch are doing
0: some—they've produced some pretty solid theologians over the years. Um, For sure. For those of you who don't know the difference— Uh, Dutch Reformed and Presbyterian are ultimately the same thing with a few minor differences. (laughs) Mostly church polity is really the the major difference, uh, the way that the church government is run. Ultimately, there's not a humongous theological difference. The beliefs are essentially the same thing as far as uh, covenantal theology and baptism and things like that. Um, There's some slight differences, I understand, with the way that they run church leadership, Um, but
1: ultimately, theologically, same page. Yeah. Don't tell a Dutch Reformed person or a Presbyterian that. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that does bring up one more thought before we jump in. Uh, hmm. We started a thing this week. We did, in fact. <laughs> so
0: for those of you on the media that is social, uh, if you have a... Uh, Bookface account, and you are on there, and you so desire to engage in uh, entertaining conversation, memes, um, some theological discussion, and uh, jokes, I highly recommend you join the Distilling Theology Facebook group. Uh, We went from about five members to about 150 members in about three days, and it is an active and spicy place to be, and we welcome Christians of all diversities uh, to come and join us engage in some
1: gentle and fun
0: conversations
1: indeed and uh we affirm that god ordains the ends as well as the memes (laughs) (laughs) sorry indeed he does (laughs) amen uh so yeah that's that's been a lot of fun we uh i'm honestly overwhelmed at the response you guys that are that are active in the group it's been a huge blessing and the spirit that we've tried to keep is we want to be laid back we want to be chill talk about distilled spirits, talk about theology, talk about what we're reading, make some funny memes, tell some dad jokes, share encouraging sermons. Like that's kind of the place that form we a want few, that Form a few
0: rivalries. You know, well, there's,
1: there's one that, uh, I, well, actually, by the time this comes out, we'll probably know, but we'll see. Hmm. There's another podcast out that uh, has been around way longer than we have that might throw some shade. We'll see. <laughs> Who knows? All in the spirit of fun. Amen. And uh, again, it was such a huge blessing to have Les Lanfear on and listen to him talk about spirit and truth, which is amazing, in case we didn't already emphasize that. Uh, Definitely challenged me and my presuppositions and and challenged me to think more deeply about corporate worship um, and and how we approach God.
0: You know, it's really funny— the week following that, watching that film, uh, I happened to attend a Presbyterian church, uh, for worship on the Lord's day. And it was, uh, not just a Presbyterian church, but it was very reformed, uh, exclusive psalmody even. Um, there was nothing up front except for the, the, uh, place for the preacher to stand and preach. And, uh, it was, the church was packed. I mean, Mm. for a very small church families everywhere. It was an incredible blessing to see, you know, all these uh, young families, younger families uh, coming into the church, uh, you know, 30s, 40s, 20s, you know, with their kids ranging from, you know, two years old to, you know, teenagers and, and all worshiping, just singing the Psalms. And there was just such a presence of reverence and awe that was just, I think, incredibly glorifying to God. And it was an awesome It was an awesome time, and the sermon was phenomenal, a great exegetical sermon on biblical submission, and it was just—it was wonderful. So for those of you who are Baptists like myself, you can still go to a
1: Presbyterian church and have an amazing fellowship with brothers and sisters mm-hmm. in Christ. Cheers and amen.
0: <laughs> so, Justin,
1: that's a phenomenal little transition. Uh, mm. What are we on this week? We're continuing our series on the five solos of the Protestant Reformation. Where do we find ourselves today? Today we will be diving
0: deep into the subject of our salvation being in Christ alone, Solus Christus. Basically, what we are going to assert to all of you who are listening uh, in what the historic biblical orthodox teaching would assert to you is that our salvation is indeed uh, in no other name apart from Christ.
1: That's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see how it pans out for him. <laughs> and by that, I mean it's going to because Jesus— himself had something to say about this indeed he did in the 14th chapter of john's gospel jesus says in chapter 14 verse 6 i am the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father except through me Mm. so i think i mean we're gonna go to a few other verses but let's just let's just sit on that verse 6 i mean that on its own like oh no it's it's an incredible verse um Yeah, I think, well, I think it's
0: abundantly clear, and I think what follows suit, uh, I think beautifully, is Acts 4, Mm. Acts 4.12, which says, there is no other name, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So I've heard a lot of arguments over the years about, you know, God is love, God is all-inclusive, blah, blah, blah. Well, if you actually read Scripture, (laughs) uh, scripture, (laughs) Christianity, biblical Christianity, is radically inclusive in the sense that all types of people, there's no particular type of person that can't be saved. For sure. Uh, But it's also radically exclusive Mm. in that there's only one way to be saved, and that's through Christ. Mm. and. Christ's own—even the people that—what that I like to call red-letter Christians who only say, oh, well, I only believe what Jesus says. Well, Jesus specifically says on several occasions, there is no other way.
1: <laughs> right. There's a, a video of R.C. Sproul talking about this. He was reminiscing on a, a class right after he'd become a Christian, and, and he had this kind of hardened professor who like, basically said to him, you know, Mr. Sproul, do you, do you really think that Jesus is the only way to God? And he kind of, he's like, you know, embarrassing. I was like, well, um, (laughs) yes. (laughs) And he said that this this teacher just like ripped him a new one about it. Like, that is the most arrogant, bigoted, you know, all these, all these, you know, adjectives statement I have ever heard. You would believe that. And Sproul goes on this great tangent as he does and says, well, if I believe he's one way, if I believe he's a way to God and he's, and he's right and he's who he says he is, and I am convinced that Jesus, is who he claims to be and that he is, that his word is truth. And I think he's this, you know, one way, but he's dead wrong. When he says this thing, then I can't believe that he's, that he's even one way if he's wrong about this major thing. But if he's, if I think he's one way to God and he says, I am the way, the truth and life, no one comes to the father, but by me, then I have to believe that he's the only way. (laughs) uh and it was just so like so simple but so profound it's like look if we believe that jesus is the son of the living god that he raised he lived a perfect life he died he raised from the dead he ascended to the right hand he's coming back in power if we believe that then we have to take jesus seriously when he says no one comes to the father but by me, there is no salvation in any other name, the apostles say by revelation of the spirit in the book of Acts. And I know we have a couple of other verses to get to, but I've definitely encountered that too with people that say, well, it's a very modern concept. It's like, well, you know, all roads lead to heaven, basically, or or all good people go to heaven or all...
0: <coughs> Oprah, Oprah's church, Oprah. Right. And it's like, if, you know,
1: it's or Osteen on, you know, yeah. Larry King. Oh, with the Mormons. Well,
0: they say they believe in Jesus. And so who am I to judge? <laughs> yeah, well, and Larry Get King, out of here.
1: <laughs> there's, a, there's a great clip of, uh, I think it's Steve Lawson making fun of this. He's like, you know, uh, Larry King. So would you say Jesus is the only way to heaven, Osteen? Well, I, I just don't know about that. And 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 he goes through this, you know, this whole interview. He keeps getting asked these very direct questions by King, who is was, who was Jewish, saying, well, do you think that, you know, this like just well, I don't know about that. It's like, dude, you you are at the biggest platform in the name of Christ and you can't take what this TV host of a of a news network can clearly see Jesus is making a definitive statement here. Now, obviously this isn't the entire depth of what the reformers were getting at when they would say solus Christus part of the issue as we talked about in our other episodes you'll see there's a lot of overlap here because it's all tied into this doctrine of justification the ideas of uh, salvation and the problem was it wasn't that rome said jesus isn't the only the only way in the sense that you had to have some you had to have some christ in in there like you're yeah. not you're not going to get there without yeah. jesus so like points for that but the problem was they would then remove themselves from him and say, well, you know, I can't really relate to Christ and and I need to somehow achieve some more merit and I can't do that on my own. So I'm going to start praying to the saints and to merit. And it's like, which not only is a, a weird addition, but it it totally undermines the accomplished work of Christ. Uh, anyways, so that's kind of where the context of this is. And obviously we're addressing it in our own modern context because it's still as relevant as ever. Mm-hmm
0: hmm I was thinking of uh, another Larry King interview with another uh pastor who was not so uh unassured of his stances, uh Johnny Mack. <laughs> Johnny um. Mack. <laughs> so that's uh, such a good one. Yeah. I love his faces too during that interview. He's just he's not he's not taking any of that nonsense. He's just <laughs> um but yeah, that leads me into uh a couple of other verses. Uh mm. I think of um the one that always just absolutely wrecks Calvinism. I say that sarcastically. Uh, John 3.16. Uh, oh. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in who? In him. Him. Should not perish but have everlasting life. Uh, <clears throat> again, incredibly exclusive. You have to believe in Christ. Well, let me keep reading that, actually,
1: then you get into 17. John, John three seventeen. that's right. right. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Right, uh, and this if, is the if judgment. You continue, right.
0: right, yeah. Go ahead. If you well, if you continue down, get to verse thirty-six. Right. <laughs> uh, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, and whoever right. does not obey the Son shall not see life. Right. But the wrath of God remains on him.
1: Also, in verse nineteen, there, following up there, that says, mm. "And this is the judgment: the light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light." because their works were evil for everyone who does wicked hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed Mm. but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in god so again this all ties together with what we were talking about where it's not faith plus works equals justification faith alone justifies. But what is the object of that faith is Christ alone. That's right. It's not faith in, in the saints. It's not faith in anything less than the perfect accomplishment of Jesus Christ. We talk about in theology, the idea of the obedience of Christ, the active and the passive obedience that in his life, Jesus perfectly fulfilled every jot and tittle of the law that broke mm-hmm. that, you know, as we've said in other episodes, was, was there to crush us. We were broken under it. Jesus perfectly upheld it
0: no 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 he broke the law for love (laughs) oh wait that's that's just some heresy from some famous teacher I'm gonna need another drink for that one stop Blake dead in his tracks throw a little (sighs) furtick in there what up what's wrong with you
1: people (laughs) sorry I just got (laughs) a (laughs) aneurysm So Christ perfectly fulfilled the law. Amen. And also then, and that was the act of obedience, and then in passive obedience, submitted to death, even death on a cross, and took the punishment of sin. And so that doesn't leave a lot of room for us to come in and say, well, you know, I have to do this stuff, or I need to go to the saints, or I can go to who, you know, Jesus, I, I can have a little Jesus in my life.
0: That ties in so well with what we talked about with Les, with the regulative principle, the Mm. idea that we can't invent other things and invent other ways for God to be worshiped and for God to be glorified. In the same way, we can't bring anything to the table for salvation. We don't bring anything. We can't invent another way to be saved. We can't add things to the cross. We can't Mm. add things to the finished work of Christ. It was accomplished. It was done. It was completed. He said on the cross, it is finished. Mm.
1: (laughs) What was finished? Mm. Well, let's think Cut. about that. Salvation—it was accomplished. Amen. Oh, mm. so good! You wanna you wanna pop out that that Jay Edwards quote, repping your people, Jonathan Edwards. Which one? <laughs> what do you contribute to your salvation? Oh yes,
0: yes, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, it, well, that's exactly that's exactly right, though. Right. Uh, you contribute nothing to your salvation but the sin that made it necessary. Mm. And that's also a great thing to say to telemarketers when they call and try to get you to buy
1: things. (laughs) Indeed. Um, Yeah, it's amazing to me because Solus Christus is so big. And this kind of was what, in that clip we referenced a few weeks ago, John Gerstner was getting at with justification by faith alone. It's Mm. not that we're trying to supersede the phraseology of Scripture by saying justification in Christ alone. But the point is, what is faith? Faith is the object that unites us to christ we're, we're united to christ through faith but ultimately it's not that we're justified by faith in a higher power or in some right. obscure thing it's a specific faith because we're unified to christ through that faith and so ultimately without solus christus you don't have christianity you don't have the reformation the other four solas as far as we're concerned, I think start to, they don't work without this one. Not that any of them, mm. but, but you know what I mean? Like this, yeah. this is the well, Christ hinge. is
0: the, right. He's the principium, right? He, he is the, he is the, the, the first and, and the most important, the most significant thing in the mm. whole equation. So yeah. without Christ, there is no Christianity. There is nothing. There mm. is no faith. And we are most, Paul says the most foolish of men. If mm. Christ is dead, we are the most pitiable among people. Yeah, um, but he's not dead. He is alive. The tomb is empty, and oh, we amen. can live forever in eternity in glory with Christ. Praises. Um, that, leads verse me, yes, uh, that leads me. Yes, that leads me a couple different verses. I move from John to First John. First uh, John five one says, "Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of." him. And then mm-hmm. a couple verses later in 513, he says, I write these things to you who believe in this name of the son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Mm-hmm. Again, the object being Christ, Christ alone. We know that we are in uh, in Christ because of Christ. And we know that hmm. we have salvation because of Christ. And yeah. then we can know anything that we know about Christianity and about yeah. God's word is because of Christ Alone, Second Mm -hmm. Corinthians uh, says that uh, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Mm -hmm. But you have to be in Christ; you have to be united with Him. The old has passed away, and the new has come. So again, absolute exclusivity in -hmm. Christ is abundant throughout Scripture. I mean, you can't—you physically can't escape it. I mean, if you read any part of Scripture, Old or New Testament, you're going to find Christ in it because He is the object in in. The father of our faith and the, and the author and the finisher of it.
1: <laughs> right, Hebrews. And yeah. that's one of my, when we were both kind of nerding out on Hebrews for a while, which I, I took a little breather because my brain can only be blown so much uh, before I need to like <laughs> take a breather from it and, and come back in later. But the author of Hebrews does such a incredible job by inspiration to the Spirit to show how Jesus is the only way... Of all time, not just now that he's come and lived and died and resurrected and, and ascended, but Abraham is saved because of the works of Christ. Moses and those under the law were saved because of the works of Christ. yeah, like that. We've talked about that too. I mean, there's going to be a lot of this kind of repetition when we're in Reformation Day, the five Solas regeneration. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's one of the cool things to me about theology, and I mean about the Bible in general is it's all interconnected. And the further you go down one thing, the more it raises other related questions in other areas. And so as you go from talking about grace to faith to Christ, and we talk about scripture next week, and we talk about glory of God alone the week after that, like it's all connected. And that gives us such a certainty, to me, of the perfection of what God has done. And it's just incredible.
0: Well, First Peter talks about it. Specifically, it says, uh, I think First Peter 3 says, For Christ, Christ suffered once for our sins, mm-hmm. that the righteousness and unrighteousness that he might bring us to God, and being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. So that even lays out how Christ himself was the one who managed to secure our salvation. He suffered once for sins for all time, before, after his death, He suffered, you know, looking forward, like Abraham, looking forward to Christ on the cross, Ox looking back to Christ on the cross. Mm. And then he suffered. uh, And then he obtained righteousness for the unrighteous that he, Christ, who? Christ Jesus Mm. would bring us to God that he put to death in the flesh, but he makes us alive in the spirit. I mean, it's, oh, oh my goodness.
1: It's, it's everywhere. (laughs) It's so good. and, And that's kind of the, when we were prepping for this episode, we were like, well, where do we want to go in the Bible to talk about, you know, Christ alone? And it was like, well, if we're not careful here, we're going to end up like reading the entirety of the Gospels and the Epistles, and then we'll start reading the Old Testament. Like, we're, so we we tried to pick and choose specific verses, but that obviously doesn't mean that these verses these these are no way exhaustive, no, of the exclusivity of Christ and that the accomplishment uh, yeah. pull, of Jesus.
0: Up, yeah, pull, you can pull up uh any Bible software, or even just go on Bible gateway and search Christ alone, and you'll find right. all kinds of of scripture I mean it's everywhere um we're even avoiding certain scripture that we reference all the time and in, in Romans and ephesians or, because right. <laughs> we, we talk about it a lot because we're you know uh we love those we love those rich truths that are found in there and paul listen sure. paul paul's one of the most profound. I mean, he's just, he fills the New Testament. He's, so it's, it's hard to avoid his writing in, in, as well, but
1: yeah, I mean. <laughs> right. Right. We were kind of like, oh, we've, we've quoted Ephesians and Romans a lot the last couple weeks. So we're going to try to not use them. Yeah. In now this we're just going to quote John all this time. <laughs> I mean, we, got,
0: we got Paul, we got Peter and, 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 and Corinthians in there yeah, too, sure. but
1: um yeah. I mean, there's just so much of it. Um, well, I also wanted to reference in passing here, Article 1 of Chapter 8 of the Westminster Confession, which is of Christ the mediator. Mm -hmm. And the confession states, it pleased God in his eternal purpose to choose and ordain the Lord Jesus, his only begotten Son, to be the mediator between God and man, the prophet, priest, and king, the head and savior of his church, the heir of all things, the judge of the world, unto whom he did from all eternity give a people to be his seed and to be by him in time redeemed, called, justified, sanctified, and glorified. Now, you can yeah. check this out on your own, but just for a quick thing, the verses referenced are Isaiah 42, one, John 3.16, 2 Timothy 2.5, 1 Peter 1, 19 through 20, Acts 3, Hebrews 5, 5 through 6, Psalm 2, 6, Luke 1, 33, Ephesians 5, 23, Hebrews 1, 2, <laughs> Acts 17, 31, Psalm 22, 30, Isaiah 53, 10, John 17, 6, Isaiah 55, 4 through 5, 1 Corinthians 1, 30, and 1 Timothy 2, 6. And again, that is by no means exhaustive
0: no uh if you want more verses please check out the other confession <laughs>
1: hey <laughs> but yeah and, and look, i say I, yeah i say that just to make the point that yeah we're not being exu- like we're not um trying to limit the discussion we're just trying to We can to only fill so much in a half an hour <laughs> i mean you know what i mean um
0: But just to whet your appetite, really, uh, to get you folks interested in and get a basic overview or an overarching view of the solas, um, Mm. I think ultimately our goal here would be to get you guys intrigued, interested, so that you go out and you investigate on your own. Um yeah, absolutely. don't ever don't ever take anything Blake and I say for truth. Uh, compare everything that we say against scripture and against yes. God's word because that is the that is the ultimate um authority here And uh, I think that's why a lot of our content is literally just scripture because uh, what what better to fill people's ears with than scripture I, I think it's I think it's wonderful. I think it's great. I want more people to hear. Mm. uh what the solas have to offer and it was sproll who said that he thinks that reform theology is really the the best expression we have of biblical Christianity. Uh yeah. it's just been given a title. Um but, you know, this is this is what it is and we're here to share it with you and we want you guys to investigate and uh, if you have questions, join our Distilling Theology Facebook
1: group, Ooh, and you nice can plug. ask all kinds of people. <laughs> Ooh, I also think you did a really great setup for our episode next week, when mm. we'll be discussing Sola Scriptura. That is the doctrine of Scripture alone. I cannot
0: tell you how relevant that is for today in mm. modern Christianity. Um, mm. You know, it's funny. I've had this conversation with my dad a lot. A lot of what we talk about seems so relevant, like the pages uh, of scripture are still wet with fresh ink because it's so mm. fresh and relevant to today. But yeah. then I think nothing's changed. It's been relevant for every generation, for all people. And so like, sure, it seems super relevant to us. Like, man, nah, you know, how are people not seeing this? But really, that's God's word is alive and it's living and it's uh, it's always relevant. So You could
1: say it's truth for all time. <laughs> Great read, by the way. <laughs> um yeah, absolutely. And I think as we get into that one, I'm I'm really thrilled because that really the confession at least both the the, the Westminster and the London Baptists both they don't begin with theology proper or or who God is. They begin with the word of God. Mm. And a lot of the systematics that I go through, they'll either start with theology proper or they'll start with the word because It's so important—like, it's always a discussion. It's like, well, do we start with who God is, or do we start with the revelation that God has given us from which we base everything we know about who God is, right? Right. Because (laughs) while while we do use elements of philosophy as a tool within theology, it's just that. It's like a hammer or a a way to mine the depths of the scriptures and and to discover things. It's not— that we come to, to the text of the Bible and say, all right, like here's my box of my ph- yeah. philosophical system that I want to impose. Yeah, now fit in here. <laughs> right? we'll, we'll get yeah. into that more when we talk about systematic <clears throat> theology and biblical and exegetical theology. But the, the short version of that is, as we go from Christ alone to Scripture alone, just how core and central all these things are, and I echo everything you said, Justin, read the text of Scripture. I would actually, I, I'll probably put some of those verse references in the show notes. Take a look at them. And see for yourself what you th- like. Take a look. See if you agree with us. And if you don't, please jump in and, and join. We'd love to talk about it some more. Uh, Justin, where can people find us? So you definitely want to hit
0: up them social medias, Facebook. Distilling Theology, now we have a Facebook page and a group. You want to hop on both, uh, Mm. like our page to get updates and things like that. And then, of course, join the group for discussion. Twitter, Distilling Tea, uh, Instagram, Distilling Theology. I'll tell you, our Instagram page is fire. It looks really Mm. good. Blake's really uh, kind of the mastermind behind that. And (laughs) and credit where credit's due, he's killing it. So hop on those social medias. Obviously, go to our website, distillingtheology.com. You can join a mailing list. You can get on our Patreon if you want to support us. Now would be the time to do that. Uh, it's really cheap, less than a cup of coffee a month. And uh, what you want to do is you want to get on there. You want to see video content, see things before everybody else because you're special. By all means, please do that. And then in the future, you know, we'll be doing giveaways and things like that of potential merchandise and all kinds of goodies. Oh,
1: so did someone uh, say, oh, merch.
0: oh, what up, merch? Oh, what up? <laughs> uh, oh, 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 oh. oh.
1: <laughs> so yeah. Uh, Hit us up on those things, and uh, we're only a click away if you have questions for us. Well, thank you so much. Guys, thanks again for taking your time to listen to us. We hope you've enjoyed this episode, and we look forward to next week when we'll talk about the Scripture alone as our authority for faith and practice. Praises be, soli Deo Gloria. (laughs) Yay!